This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You're listening to Live and Learn with me, Dr. Johan. Sabah politics is in the limelight over the past couple of weeks, has been in the limelight as the government was first on the verge of collapse, but now seems to have somewhat stabilised with the formation of a state-level unity government. But what exactly happened? Who are the major players involved? And what does all of this mean for Sabah politics moving forward? Joining me on the show today to help me unpack is Arif Adiputra. He's a research officer at the Institute for Development Studies, Sabah. Welcome to the show, Arif. How are you? Very good. Thank you for having me. Arif, before we look back and examine how exactly we got here, where are we at today? There are 73 seats in the Sabah State Assembly. You need 37 uh, at minimum to form the majority. Now, Parti Harapan Rakyat Sabah, the Deputy President Rina Jainal, um, she recently said, and I quote, the new Sabah cabinet lineup is a unity government of sorts. CM Hajiji Noor had taken Prime Minister Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim's suggestion to form a unity government into account, end quote. So, Arif, where are we at? Does Sabah currently have a unity government or not? Uh, it depends how you want to define a unity government mm. because if, if the idea of unity government is to make sure that there's uh, no opposition, right. then in the essence, the federal government that we have right now is not exactly a unity government. Yep. A unity government is just where old political rivals are trying to get together to form a majority. Mm-hmm. But for Sabah here, it's um, more or less similar because Pakatan Harapan has long been uh, opposed to the Barisan national hegemony, but how this hegemony has transformed slowly into something that we call right now GRS. So in the sense that working together uh, with these factions that have never worked together, suddenly coming together, becoming allies, trying to repulse this kind of uh, the new development and this new political crisis can be seen as somewhat of unity government, seeing that old rivals have finally put aside differences to combat against a threat that they can unify behind. Right. But so... Uh... You know, like you, like you rightfully brought up, right? I mean, if you look at it from a political science um, terminology perspective, unity government means no opposition. Usually, in in very you know, in special circumstances, em- emergency, war, all the parties come together, um, and or most of the parties, and there are no opposition, and that's what we call a unity government. Um, at the federal level, what we have, um, yes, they they call it a, a unity government in spirit, but from a term, uh, what's the reality from a terminology perspective? It's it's just a mixed coalition government, a coalition of a willing, coalition of the willing or however you want to name it. Um, so at, at the Sabah level, is there opposition and right now? Because as I understand, uh, people, new people have been sworn into the cabinet. Um, some people have been let let go of the cabinet and, and things like that. Uh, do, do we have an opposition and, and government right now or is just uh, or every or is every single party represented in the cabinet? No, currently we do have a, a opposition right, right now in the state legislative assembly. That's mostly consisting of Warisan and the uh, Barisan national members that have jumped over. That has followed Datuk uh, Panglima Bung Muktaradin, who exited his support from the GRS state government to try and make some kind of alliance or deal with Warisan. So now you can see that in the legislative assembly, their seats have been shifted. The ones that have jumped have followed with Bung Mukta, they have moved towards the opposition bench uh, alongside Warisan, while those that were in Pakatan Harapan have suddenly found themselves uh, in positions of uh, ministerial positions and are also sitting alongside the state government now. 
Right. Okay, so let's rewind and look at how exactly we got here. Um, a couple of days ago, um, the Prime Minister himself, Anwar Ibrahim, had to pay Sabah a visit and, and speak to the Chief Minister Hajiji Noor and others um, to try and reduce the temperature in Sabah politics. Now, the situation was turbulent and the government was on the verge of collapse. Um, what exactly happened? Was it an unethical attempt to overthrow the current government, uh, a la Lanka Sheraton, or was it merely a, a sort of mutual recalibration among the political elites, um, given what's going on at the federal level? Oh, definitely. There is some kind of uh, interest at play here. We can see that a lot of the uh, motivations behind this kind of uh, move, this sort of political coup, is, is largely motivated by the fact that uh, when you have this uh, situation where you disagree with the current government and its leadership, you would like to see some kind of changes and priorities made uh, for yourself. As for the meeting that happened a few days ago when the Prime Minister came to visit Sabah, uh, there was sort of a air of confusion between everyone here because uh, there, from what I've heard is that uh, the Prime Minister had tried to play the role of diplomat and politician in trying to appease everybody here. However, it was very unanimous in this consensus that uh, GRS and Pakatan Harapan are very unanimous in standing behind uh, the current GRS government because they do not want to see any kind of fracture instability happening, especially now that we've just came out of the post-COVID pandemic and uh, general, uh, general election, which has seemed to be quite controversial. Not to mention there's only two years left to go for the next state election. So what is the point of rocking the boat here? So I think they, their motives there was that they're unanimous saying that we want to stand behind GRS. We just want to make sure that this government uh, is able to continue its administration for the rest of its term. And then we can see from there if we want to make any kind of recalibration or any kind of alliance from there. Right. Um, Arif, I'm wondering if this is the crux of the problem, the difference in the makeup of the federal and state governments. Um, so the federal government under the leadership of Anwar Ibrahim and, and Pakatan Harpan um, comprises of all the parties except Perikatan National, which comprises of PAS, Bersatu and a number of smaller parties. Gabungan Rakyat Sabah GRS, which won six seats in GE15 um, at the federal level, is also part of the federal government. Now, at the Sabah state level, however, the bloc that formed the government after the 2020 Sabah state elections is Gabungan Rakyat Sabah GRS plus Barisan National, um, Perikatan, oh, sorry, Pakatan Harapan and Warisan are in, uh, were in the opposition bench after the 2020 Sabah state elections. So uh, is this mismatch between federal and state compositions, who is uh, ganging up with who, who's teaming up and partnering up with each other um, to run government, um, is the mismatch, the difference in makeup, the reason why we are at where we are today? Um. I would say uh, to an extent, yes, because mm -hmm. the Bersatu members in Sabah uh, did stand under the GRS banner and by extension that puts them in sort of in the, the same camp as Brigata National, it would seem. And But however, with, the, with that said, they are not arbitrarily beholden to the wishes of Perikatan National. GRS has always lent itself towards the notion of the Borneo bloc rather than its loyalty towards Perikatan. And as such, was more receptive to the directives taken by GPS in Sarawak. But there is some truth in how uh, Sabah's politics is configured by the presence of numerous uh, political parties, both uh, state-grown and nationwide. Uh, so with this reality, there are many political uh, actors at play here yeah, with equal variety of priorities and affinities. 
it's in this kind of a nebulous context that we would see that uh, major parties will need to parlay, break bread, and do some measure of horse trading with other players. Then this would involve a lot of um, negotiation, diplomacy, and compromise so that every uh, party here is uh, adequately represented. So really, the problem here is more so how the Sabahan politics is structured. You have so many parties at play here. There's so many parties that represents all kinds of uh, diverse interests here. So it's not so simple as um, saying that, okay, this party represents uh, a majority here and this party represents a majority here. No, you have smaller parties as well that uh, holds uh, representation of minorities as well. So it's this trying to navigate this uh, very strange context here is what lends to really the problem here is that you by alienating some, you may please others and vice versa. Can you unpack GRS a little bit for me? Because it is a relatively new coalition that was farm, uh, that was only formed after Lanka Sheraton, right? Yeah, it was uh, formed around uh, 2020. Right. Officially, those that are registered for uh, under the GRS banner is uh, PBBM, uh, but that is the Sabah uh, branch. Then there's also Parti Besatu Sabah, PBS, uh, the Sabah Heritage Party, Star, uh, Sabah Action Progressive Party, SAPP, and USNO. So just to go through this uh, quite uh, quickly with each of these uh, components is that Bersatu is one of the founding members of its uh, Sabah head, Haji, uh, Datu Sri Hajiji, whose position was attributed by being a party member of the ruling federal government at the time under Prime Minister Muhyiddin Yassin, and also was seen as being the uncontroversial choice. As for PBS, they were formerly a ruling party back in the 80s and 90s, which was then eventually absorbed into Barisan National, uh, which was a pact that came with its own coloured history and uh, drama itself. Right. Uh, and they decided to have its own coalition and eventually decided to uh, join GRS. They created a sort of a co- another gabungan uh, back at the time, and then slowly it evolved to being open to the idea of this thing we call GRS. So for Star, they threw its support behind Barisan National back in 2018, and had similar tendencies as PBS, which is to forward Sabah's interests to the forefront and were quite fervently adamant in pursuing more uh, regionalist narratives. What is also noted is that three of these so far are quite united in that they decided to work together to counterbalance Warisan's influence, which was at its apex from 2018 to 2021. Then you have SAPP, who is right. quite a party that has been known to be quite the potster, was pretty ahead of its time already in 2008 when it decided to oppose the hegemony of Barisan National. Uh, same with USNO as well. They, it was a historical party that has always been uh, fervently adamant when it comes to uh, regionalist sentiment. So what you have here is that it's not so much of parties that are, have always been sort of beholden to Barisan National, but had to play the game to be able to put themselves in that position of negotiation and power. So now they can find themselves working together because they saw that Warisan was a sort of a threat to them. Uh, sort of like uh, you know, they had more tendencies to certain things which they find disagreeable. So they needed to find a way to unite behind. So this is what uh, GRS was supposed to stand for, uh, just to counterbalance that Warisan influence. Now, just to press further on GRS before we um, talk about Barisan National, which is also another key player in all of this. Um, you know, when we look at the Sabah, 2020 Sabah state elections, um, within the general, uh, the imagination of the general public, it was a case of Warisan um, and uh, uh, Pakatan Harapan on one side um, and GRS uh, and Barisan National on the other side. And GRS was seen as sort of a Perikatan National. 
Now I'm wondering um, on that on that front. Now that we have this new calibration and and all of that, um, and and it seems like GRS um, is firmly you know working to uh, together with um, now that you know you have Pakatan Harapan members in cabinet and and so on and so forth. Um, what is the relationship between GRS and let's say Pakatan Harapan or GRS and Warisan, given that at the federal level. Um, Pakatan Harapan and Perikatan National are in complete opposition to one another. So, so how does this dynamic look like now? Um, it, it, because it seems very different from where we were in 2020. Yeah, definitely. Because we have to also consider that uh, Bersatu Sabah is, well, of course, GRS might be seen as a sort of uh, under Perikatan National. However, what has always been maintained by GRS is that they want to pursue Sabah's interests. They want to pursue Sabah's right. uh, welfare and well-being. And what would it take to actually uh, achieve that? Uh, back then, when Muhyiddin Yassin was the Prime Minister, the, you know, the only way to, avenue for that is to actually have uh, somewhat that something that is allied to Bersatu to manifest that and to realize that, to actually be able to bring that forward on the federal level. Now, also, when it comes to the dynamics now that we have here, now that the sort of GRS itself has sort of shed its image as a Perikatan National Party and sort of come into its own, that is more, uh, more interested in the idea of the Borneo bloc itself instead of actually just um, holding those ties. And that is why uh, when coming to con- uh, the elections back in uh, a few months ago, uh, GRS decided, a lot of the Bersatu members uh, in Sabah decided to contest uh, under GRS itself. So that way, it's tr- sort of trying to divorce its image from being Perikatan National, and it's made quite um, huge uh, strides in that. But when it comes to the relationship it has had with, let's say, uh, Warisan or Pakatan Harapan, uh, GRS and Warisan has always had quite a rocky relationship with uh, Warisan being sort of like an antagonistic character towards the administration of GRS, seeing that it is... Uh, it's unfair that uh, Warisan has lost its mandate on only two years to this new uh, GRS group. And but right. Pakatan Harapan, from what I've seen also, is that uh, the relationship has always been quite cordial between the two. I've never seen an instance where uh, Pakatan Harapan assemblymen uh, in the legislative assembly uh, go on to um, bring too much politics into the legislative assembly. They would just provide recommendations and some feedback and criticism that could be improved upon when it comes to administration. So there's sort of a different dynamic here is that on one level that uh, GRS and Warisan have quite a uh, troubling relationship, but for GRS and Pakatan Harapan, it's quite cordial. And I think that is why it's more uh, GRS seems to be a bit more willing to accept uh, the idea of moving from Perikatan National to this uh, unity government. Is GRS still having a, do they still have a friendly relationship with um, Perikata National or are they now completely um, saying that, you know, regardless of what our origins were, we are now an entity, like like you are, like you have alluded to, an entity, um, you know, on our, uh, by ourselves um, and, you know, sort of like a GPS sort of situation where, yes, they were at one point, you know, um, friends with Barisan, um, perhaps they are still friends with Barisan, but they are an entity in and of itself, um, free to make decisions. They, if they want to support Pakatan or they want to support Perikatan, it is technically completely like up to them. Is GRS in, in that similar position right now where or, or have they completely burned the bridges with Perikata National? It's hard to say when it comes to the relationship. I'm sure there's some Bersatu uh, assemblymen 
uh, in Sabah still have some kind of ties to uh, Versatu proper in in uh, on the Malayan side, right? In West Malaysia on the peninsula. However, the situation here is that now because of um, I mean, you can see the tone in how the Bersatu MPs here uh, contested under GRS. You can see that uh, some in Perikata National were unhappy about that, citing them, citing what have they they done as an uh, act of betrayal because you are a Bersatu assemblyman, but you are going for support to Pakatan Harapan, which is why that has led to this whole argument about um, anti-hopping, like saying that this is not this is unlawful because you are hopping from uh, Bersatu and going against the wishes of uh, Bersatu proper to do this whole GRS thing. And that goes against uh, what we as a Bersatu party has decided to do for Sabah. So it's a very confusing uh, right. situation. Is that it's sort of uh, halfway, is, GRS is sort of like, and Bersatu itself here in Sabah is sort of like half has one door, uh, one foot past the door already. But they still cannot make that full commitment. That is why they have uh, IGG right now is trying to develop this whole idea of a new party or that GRS itself is already sort of like a political party. And that because of its uh, structure, it is lawful. That is not hopping exactly. But that is really up to uh, the speaker's prerogative when we find out in the coming week. On the show with me today is Arif Adi Putra, Research Officer at the Institute for Development Studies, Sabah. After the break, we continue to unpack Sabah's Game of Thrones. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashran Johan. And on the show with me today is Arif Adi Putra, Research Officer at the Institute for Development Studies, Sabah. And he's helping me unpack all the drama that unfolded over in Sabah politics. So, Arif... Let's switch gears and talk about Barisan National. Where are we, um, you know, exactly right now? Um, you touched on it earlier, but, you know, just to dive uh, a little bit deeper into it, Barisan National, are they as a block supporting the current Sabah Chief Minister Hajiji Noor um, from GRS? Or are they um, split um, where some people are in support, some people are not in support. Where where does Barisan National, uh, you know, the allegiance uh, lie right now? Right now, Barisan National, it's mostly when we look at Barisan National, we're looking at UMNO here. Right. And it is definitely split. You have about five UMNO assemblymen who have chosen to uh, stay with uh, Hajiji to support him, while the rest have decided to throw their lot in with Bung Mukhtar. But however, there may not be a permanent state of affairs, you know, loyalties can always be shifting when it comes to uh, situations like this. Right. And so what prompted this this, this move um, by Barisan National? Because you're saying that a whole bunch of them are, are support, uh, you know, uh, standing with Bong Mukta. Um, so what prompted, you know, this, the, what, what was the trigger in which Barisan National decided to withdraw their support for the Sabah chief minister? Uh, really, it could be anybody's guess. Some may ascertain mm-hmm. greed as the prime motive here behind right. the move. However, we, we could find some clarity if we are to look at Bung Mukta himself, who is the leader of Amno Sabah. He was the deputy chief minister uh, number one and un- state minister of public works under Hajiji's cabinet. And these are positions that are held in very high esteem. Uh, this is a very high ranking positions here among the state cabinet. And in turn, this is a position with a lot to lose here. Perhaps he saw a chance to ascend himself as chief minister if he was to throw in his lot with Varisan leader Shafi Abdal. But if the rumours are to be believed here, the arrangement would maintain Bung Mukta as deputy chief minister while Datu Sri Shafi would return as the chief minister, essentially rendering Bung back to square one. 
in essence, there is no avenue or there's no uh, conclusion here that Bung can emerge as Sabah's number one. Uh, therefore, we can only really speculate that this was a move uh, that can be drawn up to something like a personal or professional disagreement with Hajiji's administration. Or perhaps you could also make the argument that some fears have been stoked here of his looming court cases and salvation offering itself in the form of Shafi. Yet there's also a myriad of factors here at play that you know, the public may not be privy to. There's all manners of intrigue and sort of clandestine <laughs> maneuvers made by uh, those that are not in the spotlight uh, are taking place in private discussions or backroom dealings here. Um, I think there's a lot of emphasis here on Bung Mukta as a character being the main instigator, but we don't really know the people that uh, that went to support him if these are, I don't know, uh, yes men or people that have stoked certain fears because uh, this is uh, to be able to mo move, move at least that many assembly assemblymen. There has to be some kind of consensus here, and but as to that consensus, is just uh, what it says on the media is that uh, Hajiji is not the rightful CM. But there's a lot of uh, motives here to unpack. Right, and. Why are there these inconsistencies in Amno? I mean, some people seem to be supporting Hajiji while others don't. They are, they are following Bung Mukta. Um, is this, does this, I wonder, tie into larger problems that Amno is facing right now? Like, you know, they, they seem to be having an existential crisis of their own. There's a lot of factionalism at, at the federal level. Um, many key players are, are vying for the top spot as Amno president. Um, and over the past couple of years, um, I mean, we've We've talked about, you know, the, the court cluster, the, the minister cluster, and, and so on and so forth. So factionalism is is really, really, um, you know, you know, hot right now in, in Amno. Um, the temperature is really high. I, I'm wondering if this ties into um, what is going on at the Sabah Amno level, or is it something else, you know, that's detached from the larger uh, problems, uh, you know, that Amno is tackling right now. Well, just to specify specifically on mm -hmm. uh, Sabah's situation, if we were to look at the AMNO members that have supported Hajiji, we can see some patterns at play here. The five of AMNO assemblymen who have chosen to maintain the support for Hajiji, which is assemblymen such as Shahel Miyaya, Jasni Daya, James Ratib, Yusuf Yaakov, and Asad Bistari, some of which are ministers and assistant ministers who will be putting their positions at risk by making such a risky move. Uh, secondly, four of these assemblymen are seen as the upcoming generation of Sabahan politics, being of similar age groups and from the same cohort. These are um, YBs who are like the, around their mid, uh, mid to late 40s or early 50s. So you can attribute somewhat of an age gap here. Right. Uh, but ho However, you can look also at Bung supporters being seen as the old guard of Amno Sabah. However, this is, may also be a simplification on my part as well, since uh, his camp also consists of quite young members, relatively speaking, who are also first-time legislative members with um, minimal experience. So it can attribute to a split of loyalty and factionalism, but and sort of mindset as well, because now, like you mentioned, is that sort of Amno is undergoing through this uh, huge shift here is that mm -hmm. you have on one side the progressives who uh, are more uh, inclined to people like Kairi Jamaluddin and you have the old guard as well. Right. So, you know, an another key player we have to talk about is um, Warisan's uh, chief, um, which is Shafi Abdal. Um, 
you know, what is his role in this Sabah edition of Game of Thrones? As I understand, he was also vying and, and perhaps even on the verge of becoming Chief Minister of Sabah once again. In fact, there was even a, a sort of mysterious press conference announced which was canned at the last minute. What can you tell me about Saf- Shafi Abdal's positioning in, in this, this, this scheming and politicking that is going on? Well, Shafi has made it no secret that the abrupt ending of his tenure as chief minister is seen as sort of an injustice. Mm-hmm. And as the leader of the opposition, he has maintained a hypercritical stance on the GRS government, taking pot shots with deft precision, to be honest, over issues such as handling of the Sultanate of Sulu's claim to North Borneo, the progress of MA63 and Sabah's autonomy, to name a few. And you can see now Warisan's attempts is uh, trying to set its sights on challenging Hajiji's legitimacy as chief minister. Uh, they're now invoking the state constitution, which uh, eventually was rebuffed by uh, the likes of uh, Masidi Manjun, among others. Uh, while still, Even though right now, positionally speaking, in terms of position, uh, Shafi still commands some significant numbers in the assembly to bear and he could play the role of undermining the competency of the GRS's uh, stewardship in the public domain. Although he has shown to be capable of acknowledging the federal government's commitment to honouring the Malaysian agreement. It's it's more so uh, Shafi trying to placate the federal government rather than acknowledging the, uh, the achievements of the state government. So it's more trying to show up uh, dissidents within uh, GRS or GRS's supporters, showcasing that they're not doing their job, uh, you can trust in Warisan instead. So I think that is the position and the angle he is trying to take uh, in the public side, while also still trying to gather enough support uh, from those that are still uh, the more fickle uh, members of uh, the assembly that still don't know where their loyalty is like, trying to pull them into whatever him and Bumukta are cooking up. How was the situation finally managed? Because at least where we are right now, it seems like the temperature has sort of um, cooled down a little bit. Um, you know, it's Malaysian politics, anything goes. It's Sabah politics especially. It's like anything goes on steroids. Um, you know, all these things constantly happen, constant politicking. But for now, it seems like the situation somewhat managed. There is a, a sort of, uh, you know, a recalibration, new members in the cabinet. Um, how was the situation managed? Um, who are the players involved and what were the compromises made so that we get this, this new cabinet that we have right now? Well, I think after the dust was settled and it was shown that uh, Warisan and AMNO did not have the majority, uh, this was attributed as well to Pakatan Harapan uh, maintaining its support for the GRS government. So you have PKR Sabah Chief uh, Christina Liu, who was leading the forefront, saying that uh, rallying up the other Pakatan Harapan assemblymen, saying that we don't want any instability anymore. We want this GRS government to continue. At the same time, it was very convenient as well to, because all of these uh, AMNO Assembly men, especially Bung Mukta that jumped over, uh, has left some positions vacant. So it allows for more uh, chances to actually put Pakatan Harapan uh, within the cabinet. So in, in a way, even though it's cooled down, it's uh, not necessarily over yet. You know, For the continued mm-hmm. survival of his administration, Hajiji would have to take more decisive measures to protect his legitimacy and mandate. So he has to act as sort of a note of confidence for his supporting Aduns, including his allies, and deflecting any oncoming onslaught by the opposition, as because he only has about um, forty-four assemblymen. Uh, you mentioned before that you need uh, there's a total of seventy-three. Right now, we have to consider remember that there's seventy-nine actually in total because there are nominated assemblymen as well. Right. So absolutely. So actually, 
hold majority, you will need to hold uh, 40 seats. Right. So right now, Hajiji is sitting with 44 in support. And that is a very uh, small margin to protect here. So in a way, he's still at striking distance here. You know, if any five assemblymen leaves him, it's it spells his disaster. But he so it needs to show up some more uh, seats to try protect him and keep danger at sort of like arm's length here. Is whatever that's going on right now good for the people of Sabah? You know, because you know sometimes competition, um, you know, government that is afraid of the opposition and things like that could, you know, spell, uh, you know, could bring about good policies and so on and so forth. Um, do you anticipate anything positive coming out of this or, or is this just merely a, a case of just elite politicians doing what elite politicians do? And it's not, you know, the people are just, you know, it's just business as usual in, in, when we look at every other aspect. It definitely is uh, maneuvers at the expense of the wider public. But the wider public only wants to see stability. They want to see good governance. They want to see that uh, no amount of drama can interfere with the day-to-day -day administration of the government. They want services to continue. They want development to proceed without interference. So by having this, uh, by re repelling this sort of uh, political coup, this political crisis, it, it at least brings some confidence to the public here is that, okay, we're not going to change anymore. There's not going to be another state election. So it can breathe us, you know, some of uh, breath of fresh air that we can, that something like this can actually be resolved. There's no backdoor movements that influences uh, the democratic process. So it sort of uh, helps solidify uh, Hajiji himself as well as being a capable uh, peacemaker here in trying to settle all of these uh, issues here. Of course, he still has a lot more challenges uh, going forward to ensure stability, but at least now it present, presents himself at a crossroads here. So for someone like Hajiji, who has always been portrayed as sort of like the gentle-hearted administrator, this will be a defining moment in his career uh, that will quash such notions and prove himself to be a decisive and resolute statesman that the position demands and prove his qualities as a leader that can keep a shaken assembly intact. So the immediate danger may have been soundly repulsed, but there will be more skirmishes to come. And I think from here, the wishes of the people is that they want this to continue. They want the terms to at least go to its full extent so that we can have a clean slate with the next round of state elections. Now, you know, when, when we look at the recalibration, right, um, Obviously, perhaps it hasn't happened in other states um, with the intensity that it's happening in, in Sabah. But we see recalibrations happening all over the country, given the makeup of the, of the federal government. We see um, in Selangor, in, in Penang, in, in various states where um, BN and, and Pakatan Harpan, for example, have come out and said, OK, we're going to work together for the upcoming state elections um, and so on and so forth. Um, but my question is, do state governments need to recalibrate to, um, you know, so, so that their partnerships reflect what is at the federal level? Because a lot of people were asking when it comes to, let's say, Selangor, um, when it comes to Penang and, and so on and so forth, why does Pakatan Harapan, for example, need to work with Barisan National? You can be um, partners at the federal level, but still have a healthy oppositional relationship um, at the state level. Um, looking at Sabah politics, what is your, your take on this? Um, do you think that you know, the state governments, the makeup of the state government should reflect the makeup of the federal government? Or do you think, you know, these things, it, it doesn't matter, like the state government can be different? 
uh, makeups and the federal government, different makeups, and and it still works. Um, it, it can still be, uh, you know, an efficient, and and things can still get done. Of course, ideally in a democracy, you would want to see a healthy opposition uh, within the state government. However, I think this is born out of necessity because uh, right now we have never seen some uh, a level of uh, unity here in uh, Sabah's politics that's able to uh, put itself at the forefront of uh, the federal level and trying to bring forth Sabah's concerns here. So, of course, it would be nice to have a good uh, opposition and Pakatan Harapan could serve that um, uh, that role. But right now, the immediate concern here is to create a united Sabah, to create a Sabah that's uh, represented by everyone here, that can bring forth its concerns to the federal level to make sure that the honouring of the Malaysian agreement uh, is fulfilled. So this is more of a necessity and a pragmatic choice here for Sabah to orient itself along the lines of the federal government. And I think as well, it's to also shore up enough supports enough uh, individuals that are capable to lead that kind of negotiation. Also, it's more like wait, a wait-and-see kind of approach as well, even though they are taking steps. It's also sort of a wait-and-see approach to see how GPS themselves have uh, been able to successfully negotiate for increased autonomy uh, and decentralization for Sarawak. So because they were able to put aside uh, differences. Uh, before GPS, you had um, many small parties that would compete with each other. Now, they are solidified in a way that not many people can tell what is the parties within GPS itself. So I think that is what GRS is trying to uh, market itself as. It's like a GPS, but for uh, Sabah. And bringing Pakatan Harapan into that fold, into supporting this GRS government, only lends more weight to the brand itself of GRS being able to negotiate, being able to bring forth Sabah's concerns and welfare to uh, the Prime Minister and other federal entities. And on that note, Arif, thank you so much for joining me today and explaining everything. Thank you so much. That was Arif Adiputra. He's a research officer at the Institute for Development Studies, Sabah. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan, and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.